So if you've got your Bibles, we're turning to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I know we haven't got as many minutes as normal. Catherine said, just give me your watch today. Don't worry about the time. So then we'd really know if the Lord was showing up. Had someone actually uh, a couple of weeks ago who comes to the early service. I oh, know they come, we'd finished the early service. They were here for the late service and we'd finished about 10 minutes before time. And he said to me, this guy, he said, oh, obviously you're not preaching this morning. And I said, no, actually I'm not. How did you know? And he said, well, it's because you've, you've finished and there's still 10 minutes of time to go. So I apologize. It's too many good things to say, but we're just going to share some scriptures and see what the Lord might want to do. Before we do that, we're going to pray. So pray together. Pray with me in faith. Lord, thank you that you are always at work. The unfolding of your sovereign plan, we can rest in that. And yet, Lord, we can also rest in the reality that you're always at work in our hearts and our lives. In fact, Lord, you taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. And that shows us both our need to rely and be dependent upon what you give to us on a daily basis, but also of your desire to provide fresh bread, fresh fresh food, fresh nourishment, fresh sustenance. And Lord, I thank you even this morning for the reminder that you gave me of Hardy Baker's word so many years ago here, where she proclaimed that this would be a holy bakery, a place where the aroma of your fresh presence on a daily, on a weekly basis would be so evident. So we ask you, Lord, for your fresh bread today. Speak to us. Move in the hearts of your people Lord, do, uh, do whatever you need to do in us, but get us ready for all that you desire to do through us in our city, in our nation. Let your kingdom come as we've sung. Let your will be done. Give us listening ears today to hear what it is that you have to say to each one of us. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your wonderful name, the name above every other name. Amen. Amen. We're turning to 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> We've been studying through this little book, and if you've been with us through this study, you'll know that the last couple of weeks we've focused on this topic in this area of hope. I looked at a passage from First Peter, and from if you, if you were there by way of review to get us up to speed, we talked about his instruction for us always to be prepared to share hope, the hope that is within us. Two questions that are always worth asking when I read this passage is, number one, is our hope showing? Because how are people going to ask if our hope is not somehow leaking out? And Catherine very well last week talked about the reality that we have, the hope rope, she said, the hope rope to hold on to, to hang on to. Or Hebrews talks about hope being an anchor. When is it that we need an anchor? It's in the midst of the storms, isn't it? What's going to keep us steady? The hope that we have. But not only are we to show hope, we're to share hope. We're to be a people who bring hope into our conversations. Are you a hope bringer? In your Facebook posts, in your conversations, I found that a very useful parameter to think, am I bringing hope? Am I sharing hope? It's very easy to share opinion, isn't it? It's very easy to share my theology my stuff even at times, but are we bringers and sharers of hope? 
And remembering in verse 16, Peter says, And we share hope, but knowing, not if we are slandered, but when we are slandered. He said, this is not always going to be received well. It's not the results we're after, but it's a passion to live for the king and his kingdom. Verse 17 is where we're going to pick it up. Chapter 3 of 1 Peter. For it is better to suffer for doing good than, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good, if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pause there for a moment. Don't worry, we're not going to talk about suffering. We'll leave that for another week. Someone say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Got to be prepared for that one. But this is the reality. Two questions. First of all, is it possible to suffer for doing good? Do bad things happen to good people? Sometimes we struggle with that. Absolutely. Let's just get rid of that myth that somehow we become Christians and nothing bad will ever touch us. But there is not only a hope that's an anchor for our soul, but there's a purpose in the midst of the suffering. It's the other side of the same coin. It says, it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. So that means that God's will must always be present, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of stuff. And he goes on and he says, For Christ also suffered. Christ was no stranger to suffering, once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. See, here's the encouragement. Christ suffered, but in fact it was in the midst of his suffering that the greatest purpose, the greatest will, the greatest intention and pleasure of God was unfolding. Not in the absence of his suffering, but in the midst of his suffering. So in the midst of our suffering, what is it that prevails? The will of God. That wasn't a trick question. In the midst of Christ's, Christ's life and his living and his suffering, what is it that prevailed? It was the will and the purpose of God. Somebody nod. Are we following along? Good. He goes on and talks about in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited at the days of Noah we could come back and do a wonderful sermon, rich in theology on that passage, but for the interest of time, we'll move on. What was, what was it, or what is it that Peter's pointing out here? It says, even in the midst of that, the Lord brought through a few, that is, eight persons safely through the waters. He's saying, think about the judgment that unfolded in the time of Noah. What was it that prevailed, even in the midst of great depravity? The Lord looks down and he says, there is evil everywhere. Everybody's doing what's right in his own eyes. And yet, even in the midst of that circumstance, what was it that prevailed? God's will and God's purpose. But just think for a moment of Noah. I feel a little sorry for Noah. And this might sound like a somewhat controversial statement, but if you think about it, and, and bear with me, I'll explain what I mean. But Noah wasn't the only righteous person who lived in the lead up to the flood. Who thinks that sounds controversial? Nobody. Do you guys read your Bibles? There was one other character, wasn't there? He was a guy by the name of Enoch. See, the Lord had warned a hundred years in advance that he was sending a flood, but before the flood came, it says that Noah walked with God and he was not. The Lord raptured him, for lack of a use of better term. So I feel for Noah. He's thinking, okay, the flood's coming. He's got a hundred years to prepare. Not only is he building an ark, but the Lord calls, called him, as Peter declares in Second Peter, to be a preacher of righteousness. So a hundred years, he's preaching righteousness. I don't know exactly what that looked like. We're not told. 
but he's got a call to proclaim righteousness, knowing that a hundred years later, all he gets is a big boat and no fruit from his preaching. It's a hard call. And if I was him, I'd be thinking, what about Enoch? What's wrong with him? Couldn't he pick up some tools and build a boat? I mean, he gets raptured out and I get a hundred years of hardship. So if you think you got it tough, spare a thought for Noah. Point being, even in the midst of this circumstance and situation, the will of God prevailed. Let's just jump down to 4 verse 1. I know I'm skipping through a few verses here, but this is what I want us to land on this morning. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. First word to underline. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That word for ceased there doesn't mean we don't sin anymore. Has anyone noticed that you follow Jesus and automatically you never sin again? Anyone notice that? You still sin. The problem is that once you meet Christ, you can still make bad choices. It's just that you don't enjoy them. Before you met Christ, you can do whatever you want. Any pleasure. Let's move along. So he's not saying that we cease from sin in the sense of we never sin again. In fact, the, the literal technical definition is that we cease to live under the dominion and the control of sin. Sin is something we do. It's no longer something we are. So since Christ has set us free, for what purpose? In verse 2, so that we can live the rest of our time, the rest of our days, not in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So here's what I want us to see, and I know we've only got a few minutes to unpack this, but all the way through in the midst of our suffering, the will of God prevailed. In Christ's suffering, in His living, the will of God prevailed. In Christ's dying, the will of God prevailed. In Christ's resurrection, symbolized by our baptism and coming through the waters, what happens? The will of God prevails. And then verse Chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, since this has happened, since you've been set free from the dominion of sin, you've been given this gift and this call to live for what? To live for the will of God. To live for the will of God. And not only are we to live for the will of God, but Peter exhorts us here and says, therefore, arm yourself. Arm yourself. So if you want a title for this message, Bear with me here. I know it's a little corny, but I want to ask you this. Are you armed and dangerous? Are you armed and dangerous? Find someone next to you. Say, are you armed and dangerous? Are you looking armed and dangerous? Hopefully you will be by the time we finish this morning. Are you armed? You see, you and I were born to live for the will of God. That's why we're here on this planet. We're born to live for His will, not just to work a job. Jobs are good. Not just to pay bills. Bills are horrible, but they're a necessary evil. You were born for a greater purpose, to live for the will of God. And Peter is saying, so arm yourself. Be armed with that perspective that you're here for a purpose. We're here for a mission. See, so often we, I believe, are, are in this mentality, particularly in, in current times and seasons, of we've been put on this planet just to survive. Ever felt like that? Ever met a Christian like that? Won't ask for a show of hands. I'm on this planet just to suffer. Here I am, 80 years of suffering, miserable, worm-eating mess, and then I go to glory. 
Well, I would suggest something very different, that we're not just here to suffer and survive. I love John Eldridge's quote. He says, life is not merely an ordeal to be survived. It's an adventure to be lived. The Bible from cover to cover is full of stories and accounts of people who not just live to survive. Lord, give me enough just to miserably make my way through my life. But they lived to change and to transform the world around them through faith. To see his kingdom come. To see his will be done accomplished in our time, in our city, in our nation, in our lives. So I want to suggest that there's at least three, you could come up with many more, I'm sure, but there's three things that are essential for us if we're to be armed with this perspective of living for the will of God. Number one, we've got to be armed with the right perspective, with the right mindset, with the right mentality got to be armed and arm ourselves with perspective. See, let's look at, at something we've quoted this morning. I thought it was interesting in the worship that we were talking and singing about the Lord's Prayer. It's recorded in the Gospels, prayer that we're all very familiar with. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And in fact, I think in the earlier service, we really went there in, in worship in a, a particular way. But it's a wonderful prayer, and let's just think through that for a particular reason. I, I want us to see how this affects our perspective. This has a great bearing on the perspective that we live with. So the Lord, of course, teaches His disciples, as recorded in Matthew 6 and elsewhere, this is how you are to pray. Don't pray the way the Gentiles pray. This is how you are to come before God. First of all, you come as Father. We don't need to unpack that, not as a distant God, but the God who loves you. He's given everything for you. He's there. You come with reverence. You come with awe. You come with wonder. Hallowed be your name. And then you come with this proclamation, this declaration. Let your kingdom come. The word for kingdom literally means the, the domain, the rule, the authority of a king. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. There's that phrase again. Let his will be done. What I want to focus in on is, is this word for done. Let your will be done. Kingdom come, will be done. And it literally means come to pass, to come into existence, to begin to be established, to appear in history, or to be performed in a powerful or a miraculous way. And there's two important things about this word, the Greek word for those who are interested. Genomai is the word. You can write that down. I'm sure you're all feeling sufficiently more educated now. Here's two fascinating things about this word. I just want to talk about it for a moment. I want to go into the Greek. We don't always do that, but it's important in this sense because it will help shape our perspective. Number one, this is a present tense verb. It's, present. it's not just future tense. And you see, there is this tension when we read through Scripture between the Lord's sovereign will and His specific will. So His sovereign will is His sovereign intent and purpose. He purposed to create man. He purposed to redeem man. He's purposed to establish his kingdom. He's purposed that there will be a day that will stand before him, the great white throne in judgment. He's purposed that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. It's his sovereign will. You could not mess it up. You could not affect it in any way if you tried. It's his sovereign purpose. And yet we also talk in Scripture about his specific purpose. 
Romans 12, it talks about be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that you might know what is the will of God, His specific will for you. So there's the sovereign will of God, but then there's the specific will of God. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has a specific plan for us, for Vision Christian Fellowship. He has a specific plan for, I don't know the date, whatever today's date is, for Fish Week, Canberra, for that which he wants to do in our church and our city and our nation. So this is the present tense. It's not a petition of some future tense reality. Yes, the kingdom is coming, absolutely. But there's a present tense reality of the future kingdom. The second aspect, hopefully that's we're on the same page. We know what we're talking about there. But let's go a level deeper. Don't worry about this. But officially, not only this is a present tense verb, but it's the middle voice form of a primary verb. Everyone say, thank you. That was useful. That was wonderful. I feel edified and encouraged. Here's the, the official definition of a middle voice verb. It shows that the subject is speaking on his own behalf or participating in the results of the verbal action. That's just a literal definition. Here's what it means for us. Not only is the Lord saying, when you pray this, you're praying this as a proclamation. That's the first thing. As a present tense proclamation, we're believing and we're proclaiming to see your kingdom come and your will be done now. Now. Not just your sovereign will, the other side of eternity, but your specific will now. And yet we see here, even with this verb that's used, that there's a call not only to proclaim and declare, but Him inviting us into His purpose. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's the middle voice, meaning it's us participating in the reality of His kingdom. Here's why it's important. You see, Jesus came and He proclaimed the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God he said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And the word for here means it's, it's around us. It's within reach. It's here. And then he, he taught us to go and say, and when you go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and demonstrate it by power, that's your mission. Go to all the nations proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom is coming, but the kingdom is here. And I love that reality because there's never any disclaimers and there's never any limitations. There's no disclaimers saying the kingdom is here, but it's only going to work in certain nations. It's only going to work in cir certain circumstance. It's only going to work up until 2016, anything from 2017 onwards. That's well beyond the parameters. And he says, go and proclaim it without any limitations. So you say, okay, well, the kingdom is coming in, in full power and authority as Jesus returns. But how much of the kingdom can we have now? What's without limit? How much of the kingdom can we believe for now? It's an open-ended ticket to see his kingdom come and established. So I would say if we're to live in the will of God, number one, we've got to arm ourselves with that kingdom perspective. Number two, we've got to arm ourselves with his promises, with his prophetic promises. I've alluded to this already. But you know, I've discovered in my time in ministry, and to be honest, I've discovered in my own life, if I'm perfectly honest, that we are very good. There's something about human nature that we want to arm ourselves, not with His promises, but we want to arm ourselves with our problems. 
promises and problems. See, I could pick nearly anyone out and I could do this myself. I could give you a wonderful theological statement. I could tell you in detail about all my problems. Well acquainted with my problems. Well acquainted with the the stuff, whatever that might be. But so often what I lose sight of and what I've seen many of us lose sight of is we lose sight of his promises. See, look at the example we talked about of Noah. How do you deal with this scenario if you're Noah? You got a big problem. You got a hundred years of fruitless labor. You got to build a big boat and save the world and do it while everybody around is having a go at you, thinks you're crazy. I mean, who thinks that's a tough scenario? How do you get yourself through that? You got a big problem. Well, you got to have a promise that's much greater than the problem that is all around you. You got to get a hold of the promise. I guarantee you, he reminded himself of that promise every single morning. Here I go again, 100 years. It's a long time. I got to get a hold of a promise that's big enough to see me through. See, we got to be a people that stop empowering our problems and instead we get a hold of his promises. The moment we get a hold of his promises, the mountains move. We tell the problems to get out of the way. We've got to stop empowering problems and get a hold of his promise. And I love throughout Scripture, you see this time and time again, that the Lord comes, He calls someone, He gives them a great promise, great promise, Abraham, you're going to be the father of nations. And then He camps them beside a problem. A small problem, God, I can't have any kids. You know, He takes His Israelites, He sets them free, He says, I'm going to give you the promised land. And then He camps them beside the land, it's within sight, but then so are the giants. You know, he camps them beside the River Jordan. He says, we're going across the River Jordan into the promised land. What's the very first thing he does? He gives them the promise we're going across, and it says they camp out by the river. He gives them a promise and tells them to camp by the problem. Why? Because so often I believe he's testing our hearts. Where is it that we will build our theology? Where are we going to go? You got a promise? And you got a problem. I guarantee you, nine out of ten times, all of us will go and build a theology around our problems and we'll totally lose sight of His promise. Where will we go? Have you got a greater theology around your problems or around His promise? We've got to get a hold and arm ourselves with His promise. I don't want to say to anyone here and you're thinking, well, I don't have any promises. Well, you can start here. This is the book of promises. There's over 3,000 promises that the Lord gives you here alone. And I guarantee you, if you think about it, if you allow Him to speak to you, He will give you promises for your life and for my life, for your circumstances, specific promises. And remembering we're talking about not just knowing His promises, but the exhortation from Peter, it says, to be a people who are armed... Are you armed with his promise? Just try it this week. Just personally, on a personal level, go through Scripture, grab a hold of some of his promises, and when you wake up in the morning, begin to arm yourself with his promise. 
I am a child of God. I am beloved. I'm his beloved daughter, his beloved son. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Arm yourself with his promises and see how your day, how your week, how your life is transformed. Just by that simple reality. We're to be armed with his perspective, yes, but we're to arm ourselves with his promises. Now, I had on my heart this morning, I can show you, I've got the evidence to prove it. I had on my heart to remind us of some of the promises that the Lord has spoken over us as a church. Because we can do this, we can be reminded of his promise as individuals, but I felt like the Lord said it was time to stir up our hearts as his people. And each and every year I keep a a little record of the things that the Lord's saying. I've got this record here written very well of all his promises for me personally, for us. But there's always things specifically. Some of them we've shared, some of them we've shared at a board level. And I can't remember a year, and this is no exaggeration, where the Lord has spoken more things than this year. You know, often as I seek the Lord, I say, Lord, what's on your heart for us this year? There might be one, two, maybe half a dozen at most different words, different things that he's given, that he's brought to encourage me, to encourage the church. But I literally cannot keep up this year. Catherine told me before she's She's keeping a record on her phone and then she's gone to the book and she's trying to find ways to record all that the Lord is saying in this season for us as a church. And so I'm not going to go down that path because if I start sharing, I, I, I don't know where I'd stop. I think we'd be here until next week and we'd miss our trip. But I want to encourage us that the Lord is really saying to us so strongly, so strongly as a people that it is a season to be prepared. I'm not surprised at all at any of the hardships that have arisen. In fact, the Lord gave me a very specific dream, saying that there'd be stuff coming against us, but we needed to hang on to his perspective, that this was a season where the enemy would come and do everything he could to distract us and to rob us of the fullness of what the Lord had. And he spoke to me at the beginning of the year. I shared this at the Word, that for, in, in, during the Word for the year, the first sermon of the year. You can go back and listen. A very clear word, looking out. I was looking across my block. And, you know, in the same way that the Lord often uses natural pictures in Scripture, He says to Abraham, look at the stars. These will be your descendants. It's often the way the Lord will speak to me. And as I saw and looked across the, the block into the valley where we live, there were these deep, dark storm clouds forming and I saw that and I knew that I was looking at more than just the clouds and the Lord spoke clearly and said I'm sending the rains to prepare the harvest and then all of a sudden I was back and just looking at clouds again and every time now I see storm clouds I get I get a little on edge I'm like here we go is this the moment and yet the Lord also gave me another specific word saying that he's, he's looking for a habitation, not a visitation. It was a time and a season to build, to build a foundation. If we had the time, I'd share those dreams and exactly what the Lord had said. But everything we've done this year, you might think that at times it probably seems like the preachers get up here and just share whatever else is going on that week, whatever thoughts come through their mind. And sometimes it does feel a bit like that when you're preaching too. Something comes out your mouth and you think, where did that come from? 
But I want to encourage us with this. That there's been an intentionality this year that has. I kind of feel like this has been the first year of a transition. And uh, I've preached on probably every topic that they tell you not to preach on in your first year of ministry. But there was a, a definite call. The Lord said, you've got to call people to holiness. You've got to do it. And so we've not beaten around the bush. We have gone there in a big way. The Lord said, you've got to call people back to intimacy. A passion for seeking Him, for worship, for awe and wonder and reverence and expectancy. And there was a third thing that slipped my mind now. But I want to encourage us that all the way through the year, this has continued, there's been an ongoing theme. The Lord said, you've got to get ready. We're in a season of preparation, but I'm hanging on to some of the promises that He's spoken. And this isn't just for us. I'm talking to us. This is what the Lord's wanting to do in general. And if you had the time, I'd love to tell you. Give me a whole week and I can share some of the prophecies that the Lord has proclaimed over us as His people. We're pressing in and we're really believing that we're going to see His kingdom come. We're going to see His will be done in a way that I believe none of us have seen to now. There's been some good times, but I genuinely feel like we're on we're on the verge. The damn wall is about to burst. His glory is about to come in an incredible and tangible way. So I want to tell you, it's a time, it's a season to hang on to His perspective. Hang on to His promise. And number three, very quickly, the, the third way we arm ourselves is by hanging on to His power. The greatest tragedy, the greatest hindrance so often is ever that we would somehow believe foolishly that we could accomplish His will apart from His power. How hungry are we? How desperate for His presence? How aware are we that we need Him at all? For me, I'm desperately aware of my need for Him. In our church... I say all the time, I say, Lord, I'm putting it all on the altar because without you, it's nothing. What we need is your presence. We need a visitation. It's something that I've said all the way through this year and I'll conclude with this. You know, the greatest threat to our church, to any church, is never what's going to come against us. Never. Scripture declares and history proves that wherever there's persecution and opposition, Man, the church just gets set on fire. The gospel's proclaimed, the Lord moves. You know, the thing that is the greatest threat always is, is that anything, complacency, comfort, discouragement, disappointment, anything would rob us from pressing in in faith to see His kingdom come in our city and in our lives and in our nation. And I want to leave us with this exhortation. It is time to arm ourselves. To arm ourselves with a kingdom perspective. To arm ourselves with His prophetic promises over your life, over our city, over our nation. And it's time to arm ourselves by resting in His power and getting ready. Getting ready. I genuinely fear for people who are not prepared in this season, knowing what I believe the Lord is about to do in our nation and in our city. Are we armed? There's a call to be an armed people. And I want to pray.
as we conclude, I just want you to turn your attention to the Lord. This is about Him. It's not about us. The Holy Spirit, I just pray right now, we give you permission to move, to move in our hearts, to move in our lives. Lord, do whatever you need to do, whatever you have to do to get us ready. Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who perhaps has lost perspective. Whether it's discouragement, whether it's distraction, whatever it might be. Lord, I pray that there'd be a refocusing that you would enable us to fix our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that there would be an arming of our lives with your promises, that where maybe we've forgotten, maybe we've lost hold, maybe even we've given up on promises, be they promises in your Scripture, be they things that you've spoken. Lord, I pray that you would even resurrect the promises, your prophetic promises that you've declared from decades or longer ago. Thank you for your resurrection power. And I just pray and I just feel to, to declare that the Lord and speak out that the Lord is resurrecting prophetic promises. And he's telling you this is a season to be armed, to be armed, to proclaim them and declare them like you mean it, to be a people who are about seeing his kingdom come and his will established. And Lord, where we ever fall into that trap of somehow thinking this is about us, it's about us making it happen, it's about relying upon our systems and our strategies and having methods and means. Lord, we just come back to that place of complete and utter dependency. We acknowledge our need of you. Lord, what we need more than anything in this hour and every hour is a mighty move of your Holy Spirit. And we invite you to breathe afresh on us, fan into flame a passion to seek you in awe and reverence. Fill us with power and boldness to proclaim your kingdom. We pray in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. We say together, Amen. Amen.